Thank you. Uh, thanks again for being here today. Uh, before I uh, go into the Word, a couple, uh, couple announcements that uh, I want to kind of personally make. Um, today's the last day for one of our Harvest members. He's been uh, faithfully serving us um, in a lot of different ways. Um, Daniel Yu is a seminarian at the Reformed Theological Seminary. He's been with us for a couple years and has uh, taken a call to serve as a children's ministry director at the first uh, at the Orlando, or I'm sorry, the Open Kingdom Presbyterian Church in Orlando. So today's going to be his last day. Um, he'll be around the area, so if you want to grab a meal with him and, and things like that, you can. But um, at the end of our worship service, we're going to pray for, for Daniel and really send him out so that he can do uh, continued great work amongst the, uh, amongst the churches in Orlando. Um, second thing, today is, uh, if, if you're new here, uh, thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I know uh, today, kind of this weekend, marks the official beginning of the summer travel season, Memorial Day. A lot of people are, you know, doing the different things that they're doing. Um, if you're new because you're in town for that, um, thank you for being the church and bringing it into here and for being part of our community today. Uh, if you're traveling, be safe. Uh, remember those who are traveling and especially remember those who uh, have given their lives in order to fight for freedom and fight for uh, life and to fight so that we might have uh, a lot of the freedoms that we have here in this great uh, country uh, in which we live. So, yeah, please do, uh, if you know people who are serving, who have served, who are, uh, have a uh, desire to defend the rights and the freedoms of people and, and to do what's right, uh, if you're here, we honor you, we salute you, we thank you so much uh, for really uh, your sacrifice in order that uh, the future might be better for, uh, for our nation and for our world. So thank you, and uh, yeah, please be safe as you, uh, as you do travel. Thanks for praying for me. Uh, yesterday I went to uh, about an hour away, Lake Yale, I gave a workshop at a, at a retreat for um, a predominantly uh, Chinese-American uh, Chinese uh, folks, uh, different age ranges. Thanks for praying for me for that. The uh, week before, uh, you can read about this in your bulletin, but our youth pastor Daniel and I went to Seattle. Uh, really good time. Uh, again, you can read more about that. And, um, there's a chance. Some of you guys remember we hosted this last year. There's a chance we may host it again next year. Really exciting opportunity for us. But um, last, so last week we were in Seattle. And uh, <coughs> the retreat, I'm sorry, the conference itself, uh, really good time, really good time. We got to meet some, some great friends uh, that we'd known for a while and, and new friends that we were able to meet, heard some amazing, amazing messages. But while we were in Seattle, uh, deeply enriching time. Uh, I will say, though, it was not an easy trip for, for different reasons. Uh, I, uh, I take Mondays off. Um, there's a reason why a lot of pastors take Mondays off, because Sundays can be pretty draining for us, uh, for those who are... Uh, for those who are, I think those who are extroverts and they love being around people and they love activity, they love like doing things and each person they talk to, they get really excited and they're more fired up to go another hour into the night. Uh, for people like that, Sundays can be really exciting and they don't want to take Monday off. Uh, but for others of us who, uh, you know, we, we love doing what we do, but we also need some personal space. Uh, people like me, Mondays are a haven for me. Uh, so I take Mondays off, so some of you may have tried to call me or email me or text me and on Monday, and I didn't respond until Tuesday. That's why. I just need some. I love you. I really do. But uh, I, need some, I need some time. In order to love you well, I need to love myself and take care of myself. And so uh, I try not to travel on Mondays, but <clears throat> this particular trip to Seattle, uh, because of when the conference started and because it was cross-country, uh, Pastor Daniel and I needed to travel on Monday. In order to get to the conference on time, we had to leave home at 4.30 in the morning on Monday. That's crazy, right? That's not a good time for us. We were uh, tired. Uh, maybe we were cranky. I'm not sure if we were. We were hungry. 
and then we flew to, I forgot where we stopped, Chicago, maybe Chicago, and then we went to uh, Seattle, time change, all that stuff, they kept us late, uh, we were jet-lagged East Coasters trying to hang out with all these pastors on the, on the West Coast, and uh, had a conference at night, had a session, good times, and then we're staying in this guest house, and there was about six of us in there, and guys that we hadn't seen for quite some time, and so we're catching up, going late into the night, and our eyes are getting heavy, but at the same time, we want to we do this. We want to engage, and part of what we do is we want to bless and encourage other people, and so we're staying up late, and that's kind of how it went each night uh, in each day of the conference. So we were tired, uh, and for some reason, uh, part of the conference, we had to go play basketball, <laughs> and so we were, we we're playing, and all of these things that made us extremely tired and extremely drained, uh, and my body didn't adjust to the West Coast time, and so I was waking up at 5 o'clock on the West Coast and, and up, and and I couldn't go back to sleep, and needless to say, proverbially, I was sleepless in Seattle during this entire trip. And so uh, we had a red-eye flight when the conference was done. So Thursday night at midnight, we were flying back home through the night and got back to the East Coast about 11 o'clock. Uh, this whole thing about a red-eye flight, um, we had a lot of time, and so um, there was, you know, we, we thought about hanging out in Seattle, doing some things with people that we knew, but we decided, hey, we've got work to do. Uh, he had a paper, I had a sermon, and so said, so let's just go to the uh, airport like 12 hours early. We had uh, access to different lounges, and so we're hanging out there getting free food, which is like the greatest thing in the world, right? Uh, free food, free snacks, free uh, water, all whatever we wanted to, to have was, was all free. And so... Uh, we were hanging out in those lounges doing work, and we'd get antsy, and we'd get up, and uh, we got tired, and so we took a nap in the lounge. After about two hours or so, we're like, man, this is really, uh, really quite taxing on our bodies. And so we said, hey, there's another lounge. Let's walk to the other lounge, and we walked to the other lounge and had a good time there. And the whole time, we're like, man, this is really rough. My bodies, we, we actually decided we're going to stop by at one of these airport massage places and get a massage, and they broke us. It was so painful, but we felt like we had to do it in order to get on the plane and not be like so in, in, a, in a busted condition. And so we thought the massage was going to help us, ended up not helping us. But at one point, Pastor Daniel was crying, and he was just like so sad. He was looking out the window, and it was like raining outside, and he said to me, I don't know where, he, he just like was in this like trance-like state, and he said, you know what, DL, uh, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. I was like, what are you talking about? And he started like clicking his shoes together, and he started repeating, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And he kept on saying that over and over and over again, and, and as he's carrying his duffel bag, he's like, you know what, um, I, just, I just can't wait to be home. I just can't wait to be home. I said, I feel you, man. I feel you. Just can't wait to be home. Because you know what? As great as it is to travel, right? some of us love traveling. Some of us love being on the road. We love visiting different places. At the end of the day, isn't it true that there's no place like home? Just want to be back at home. We want to be back with our loved ones. We want to be back in the comforts of our own bed. We want to be home because home is a haven. It's a shelter. It's a safe place for us to be. And there is in our hearts a longing and a yearning to be home. That's the way it was for us last weekend. And the Bible says that's the way it is as we live the life of faith in this place that we call earth. In Hebrews chapter 11, I want to read verses 13 through 16. And I want to help us to see the writer of Hebrews takes a little bit of a pause from going through these biographical sketches of these heroes of the faith. And he kind of 
pauses to, to, to take a detour, to catch us up to speed on what he's been talking about thus far, to give a summary of where we are before we move on, just to make sure that we understand what he's been talking about and what he's going to say as he moves forward. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16 is all about faith, but it's all about home as well. I want to read verses 13 through 16 and direct our thoughts to what it means when we say there's no place like home. Hebrews eleven thirteen. this is the word of God. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is God's word. Uh, three thoughts, faith, hope, home, heaven, life on earth. The first thought, okay, the first thought is you will never feel at home in this world. You'll never feel at home on earth. You will never feel at home in this world. When I was uh, uh, graduated college, uh, I spent a year doing campus ministry. It was the summer of 1999. Okay, summer of 1999, I went to my motherland. I wasn't born in Korea. I was born in Arlington, Virginia. Parents are from, uh, from Korea. And so uh, 1999, my brother and I went to Korea. I was uh, 23 years old at the time. It was my first time going back, and people had, it just raved about Korea. They loved going to Korea. It's so great. You've got to go. If you've never been, you've got to go. I, I'd been when I was in fourth grade. I had a fun time. My grandparents, my relatives, they all spoiled me, and so I loved it. That was my last memory of Korea. But growing up in this life, growing up in Virginia, growing up in the, the place I grew up, it was a little bit difficult for me to really find that America could be a place I called home. It was very difficult for me growing up because I looked so different from others whom I considered to be American. It was very difficult for me to say, I am uh, an American, Korean-American. I, uh, I was born in America, but I always identified myself ethnically as Korean. And as I walked around America, I always had this lingering sense that America's not really where I belong. Even though I could speak the language and I could put on the outer garb, the clothing of those who look American and those who are American, I still never really felt like I was fully American. And so when I got off the plane in Korea, I got to the airport and I started walking around the city, Seoul, I realized for the first time, holy cow, there's something deeply comforting about being in a place where I am in the majority now. Like everybody looks like me and I look like everyone. People looked at me not because I stood out, but they looked at me because for whatever reason they looked at me because I was just like one of them. And it felt so comforting in a sense to feel like I finally belong. I'm finally at home. But this feeling didn't last very long because for whatever reason, right, for whatever reason, within a few minutes of being in Korea, I began to get this sneaky suspicion that people who lived there didn't quite feel like I was at home in that place either. I think it was probably the way that I looked. I looked American, or I didn't look like I was Korean. I looked Korean-American. The clothes that I wore were not in keeping with the fashion trends of the motherland. 
the way that I, my haircut was completely different, the way that, especially the way that I spoke Korean with this hard American English accent did not uh, do much to help me feel like I was at home in Korean. People looked at me, they started calling me names. They said mean things about me. They said things about uh, the kind of people like me who don't quite belong in Korea. And so I remember beginning to feel like this massive, like, existential crisis. Who am I? Am I American because I don't quite feel American in America? Am I Korean because I don't quite feel Korean in Korea? And there was this hankering for some kind of a place that I could actually say is my home. I went to a barbershop to get my hair cut, and I told the, the lady, I said, this is the way you need to cut my hair. And she said, you might cut your hair like that in America, but you're in Korea. The way you do it in Korea is I look at your head, I look at your hair, and I cut it however way I want to cut it. <laughs> I was like, I don't like that kind of a haircut. I want the haircut that I had in America. People are gonna, I'm going to come back and people are going to think I look funny. But I realized that I wasn't quite at home in Korea either. The only place I could find solace was on a basketball court. So I asked my little cousin, I said, he was like, he was like seven, I said, hey, Kwangbok uh, was his name. I said, Kwangbok, can you find me a basketball court? Can you find me a place to, find, uh, to play basketball? He's like, yeah, at my elementary school, we can play. And so we walked about three blocks to his elementary school, and he pointed to the playground. They had this basketball court, full, you know, a couple full courts. I was like, all right, this is great. But the closer I got as I bounced the ball, I noticed that the basketball hoops didn't have rims or, or, or nets on them. It was just a backboard. And I was like, where's the... Where's the rim? In, they, in Korea, they call it the ring. He's like, this one doesn't have rings. We don't have rings in elementary school. I said, what do you mean? What is this game called? He said, it's basketball. I said, how can there be basketball if there's no baskets on the hoop, on the, on the, on the backboard? All it was was a backboard. He said, in elementary school, it's hard to throw it into the hoop. So the way you do it is there's a square on the backboard. If you throw it and it hits the square, any part of the square, you get two points. I was like, that's not basketball. I was like, I just want to go home. I don't, want, I don't want to be here. This is terrible. This is terrible. I just want to go home. And every time I spoke what I thought was pretty good Korean, people would look at me and they would laugh. And they would make fun of me. And it got to the point where I just didn't want to talk anymore. I didn't want to, say, I didn't want to open my mouth. I always had my brother. It was kind of like Moses and Aaron. My brother became my Aaron, and he would speak for me. Whatever I want. said, tell him I want pizza. <laughs> He wants pizza. Tell him I want to go home. He wants to go home. He was my mouthpiece because I didn't feel at home in Korea. I didn't feel at home in America. I couldn't find a place in this world that I could feel at home. You ever feel like that? The Bible says if you feel that way, then you have a very clear understanding of the way we ought to be living as aliens and strangers on this world. Look at what he says. It says in verse 14, uh, at the end of verse 13, they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country. You know, one of the things that strikes me so deeply when I read Hebrews, I don't know, how, I don't know about you, but this is our sixth week in this series. And as I've been preparing each of these messages, and I've been studying these passages in Hebrews. Like, it's been like really messing my heart up. Okay, check this out, guys. It's been messing me up because I realize how different my life is 
from the way that the writers of the book of Hebrews 11 describe a life of faith. I read these kinds of people who say they long for heaven. They're willing to give up all of these things because they realize that heaven is their home, that this world is not their home. And I begin to realize, man, there was a point in my life where I felt like I lived that way. There was a point in my life where I felt like this world has nothing for me. There was a point in my life where I realized that everything about my life, I'm just, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up way beyond the blue. Heaven, angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I felt that so acutely in my life. There are many times where I was growing up, and in this journey of faith, I felt like, man, this world is nothing. This this world is not home for me. But somewhere along the line, as I read the book of Hebrews, I read Hebrews 11, as I stand up here to preach these messages to you guys, there's this gnawing in my heart that says, have you become like the people of the world? Where you think more about possessions and positions and popularity and praise and passions more than you think about heaven. Have you become so fixated upon life on earth that heaven no longer seems like your home and this place becomes your home? And I'm repenting and I'm challenged. Even this morning as I'm in my office praying through this message, I'm repenting. God, I'm sorry for the ways in which I've made this place my home. Because the reality of the book of Hebrews and the joint witness of all the scripture is that you will never feel fully at home in this life because this world is not your home. And if we feel at home in this life, it's because somehow we've been like that that frog in a boiling pot of water. That at some point when we gave our lives to Christ, we said, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, I'm going your way, Jesus. But slowly in time, we become brainwashed to think that what the world tells us, what the songs tell us, what our movies tell us, what the TV shows are telling us is right and is true. And we begin to believe these things, that having a boyfriend or girlfriend is more important than following the call of God. That being married is more important than following the call of God. That having a successful family in the eyes of the world is more important than following the call of God. That having riches and having a bank account that makes us the envy of the world is what is more important than following the call of God. And we become privy to think that this world is my home, and everything about life is about here. But that's not the way that Hebrews talks about life, not for a follower of Christ. If we're a follower of Christ, this world isn't our home. And it's not where our home and our possessions and our longings ought to reside. This has been challenging my heart, my friends. Because you know how easy it is for us to get sucked into this kind of, the the, the biases of this world, the things that we read, the things that say, hey, in order to be loving, you've got to compromise Scripture. In order to be relevant, you've got to compromise the teachings of God. But that's not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says, by faith, because of their faith, people like Noah were ridiculed for their faith. People like Abel were killed for their faith. People like Abraham left everything behind in order to say, I'm longing for a better country because I can't be at home in this world. What about you? What about you? What about me? What about you where you're living right now? Have you found yourself at home in this life? Is this where you've camped out in life? You go, when you go traveling, when Pastor Daniel and I went traveling to a guest house in, in Seattle, we knew that place wasn't our home. So what did we do? We brought our stuff in, in, in duffel bags. I had a little rolling bag the size of, man, it couldn't hold anything but three days worth of clothes. That's all it held. I didn't bring pictures of my family and start nailing holes in the wall, hanging up my pictures here and, 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 and moving all my stuff. I didn't have my car shipped over. 
Why? Because that place isn't my home. My home, at least on earth, is in Windermere, Florida. And so everything is back there. I'm just passing through that place. And the Bible's saying this is what's true of us as the people of God. We're just passing through on our way to our eternal home. You ever felt this sense in which there's a gnawing? That man, there are desires, there are longings that this world can't satisfy. Because you weren't meant for this life. That's what C.S. Lewis says. If I find in my heart, if I find in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Brothers and sisters, you and I, we were made for another world. This place is not our home. This world is not our home. Look at what it says in Hebrews 10, verses 32 through 34. He's talking about people who walked by faith. It says, remember those earlier days when you, after you had received the light, when you stood your ground. Do you remember those days? When you stood your ground. When people made fun of you for following Christ, but you stood your ground. You didn't compromise. You didn't give in to them. You didn't give in to what everybody else in your school was doing. You stood your ground. You didn't shortcut the process. You didn't cut corners in order to make a little bit more money. You didn't compromise your values and say, yeah, they're not a follower of Christ, but still I want to date them because I believe they can change, even though that goes against everything that your people told you, your, your leaders and your spiritual advisors told you. You stood your ground. Do you remember those days? He says, uh, in a great contest, in the face of suffering, When you suffered for your faith, even if it meant suffering, you stood your ground. Do you remember when you were publicly exposed to insult? When's the last time because of your faith you were publicly exposed to insult? That people made fun of you, that people laughed at you, that people ridiculed you because you followed Jesus Christ. Saying this is more real than the life we live. This is what it means to walk by faith. He says you were a subject publicly exposed to insult and to persecution. What's the price to follow Christ in our lives? Have we been passed over for a promotion because we follow Jesus? Have we been made fun of and said that we're too heavenly minded or we're too hallelujah, we're, we're, we're whatever? Have you been passed over because of those things? Have you been left out of certain honors and left out of certain clubs because of your following Jesus Christ when you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution? At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. When you chose willingly to identify with the people who are harassed and who are broken, who are made fun of because of your faith in Christ, even if it meant, even if it meant that you would have to suffer side by side with them, but you willingly chose to do that instead of turning a blind eye. You sympathized with those in prison, confiscation of your property, and here's the biggest thing, It says, you joyfully did these things. You joyfully were willing to lay down your pride, to lay down your your, your longings, to lay down all of the things that the world says you need to have in order to follow the call of Christ. Why? It says in verse 34, because you know that you yourselves have better and lasting possessions. Because you know that this world is not your home. Has there been in your heart this longing, this sense of my, I know that this world is not home. I'm an alien. I'm a stranger here. This world has nothing for me. The first thing we see in Hebrews 11, the first thing we see is that you will never feel at home in this world. 
The second thing that we see, second thing that we see, by faith, okay, by faith, heaven must become as real as earth. By faith, heaven must become as real as earth. Once again, C.S. Lewis says this. Man, does this resonate in your heart? If I find in myself a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy. You had that longing? Because he says that longing tells you that the fulfillment of that longing does exist. It's the reason we get thirsty is because there's such thing as water. The reason we get hungry because there's such thing as food. The reason we get tired is because sleep exists. The reason we long for love is because there is a thing called love. But what happens when everything in this world fails to satisfy the deep down longings of our heart? Then the reality here, that longing presupposes its fulfillment, but its fulfillment is in another world. Okay, by faith, heaven must become as real as earth. Here's what he, here's what he says. They're looking ahead. Right? They only saw them, verse 13, and welcomed them from a distance. Did not receive the things they promised. Why? Because they knew, hey, by faith, this world isn't the end. And it's not like Porky Pig said, you die and that's all, folks. That's not it. It's more like, I don't know, Terminator, I'll be back. But he's saying, there's another world. Right? There's another world for us. This world is not all there is. And you know that every time you stand before a casket, you know that there's got to be more. That's why, we, that's why we know that there's got to be more. We yearn for it. We long for it. In uh, 2009, Olivia, my wife, was pregnant with our first child. And on all of our calendars, we had circled September 30th, 2009. That was a date that we had circled because that was a due date for our daughter, Manny. She was supposed to come out September 30th, 2009. That day came. And it went, no baby. (laughs) October 1st came, no baby. October 2nd and 3rd and 4th and 5th. We're getting perilously close to October 7th, which is our wedding anniversary. Said, we don't want to share our anniversary with a baby. We love you, baby, but please, either sooner or later, October 6th, no baby. October 7th, oh, no. Just stay in a little bit longer. October 8th, and finally she came out a day later. So we asked Manny, hey, Manny, why didn't you want to come out? Why didn't you want to come out of mommy's belly? And she said to us, not when she was a little thing, but when, now that she's older, she can talk. And so we asked, why didn't you want to come out? I said, because life was so good in there. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to go to school. I didn't have to learn Korean. I didn't have to stand up here. She, actually, she loves doing this stuff, but I didn't have to. There's all of these things. All I did was just sit there, roll around. Sometimes I would flip over, but it was so warm and comfortable. It was like an eternal swaddle. For those of you who are parents who know what swaddling, it was an eternal swaddle. Everything was so great. The sound machine was going on 24 hours a day. I was being fed through some kind of a tube that just gave me everything I needed. I didn't have to eat vegetables. I loved it in there. But we asked her if you could have your choice. Would you choose to go back in there? Say, not a chance. But when she was in the womb, that was the best thing that she knew. She was comfortable. Everything that she needed. She couldn't possibly imagine that there was another world, let alone a better world. A world of beauty. A world of joy. A world of 
art and dancing and all kinds of great things that are in this world. A world of pain and heartbreak and brokenness as well, but infinitely greater than the world from which she came. Some of us are so comfortable in the womb of this world, and so we don't long for our entrance into the other world. Become so comfortable in this life that we don't yearn for a better day and for a better place and for a better home, a place to truly call home. We've made ourselves at home, even though this place can never fully be home. We've lived as if this has become home to us. A.W. Tozer says, what kind of a people is it who don't long for home? It's two kinds of people in this world. You look at this life on earth, and you think, man, life is a battleground. It's a battleground. I think all of us living in, 20, in 2017, like we have this sense, very clear, anytime you turn on the news, that we're living in a battleground. You've got talk of nuclear weaponry and nuclear warfare. You've got talk of, of the highest level of office in our country colluding with people who are our enemies, who have uh, not our best interests at stake. We've got all kinds of hearing and all kinds of talk and all kinds of stuff that cause us to realize, holy cow, there's a lot of stuff going in our world that reminds us that this is not all that there is. There's a battle going on. And if you ask anybody who's fought in any of our wars, do you long to come home? When they see bullets flying overhead and they've got all kinds of army, uh, army stuff and, and, and tanks and, and they're fighting for it and, and, and they smell death all around, you ask them if they could come home, would you come home? There's a longing for home because they understand that life is a battleground. And if we understand that this is the way life is according to Scripture, then there will be a yearning for heaven. But the kind of people who don't long for home is if we don't see life as a battleground, but we see life as a playground, this big giant playground. And everything that we see are play toys for us to enjoy. We're playing at a playground. We don't want to go home. We want to stay there just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. Can I play a little bit more, a little bit longer, a little bit more, just a few more days, a few more hours? There's no longing. There's no homesickness for heaven because everything that we want is here. Do you long for heaven? Do you long for that place that the Bible says is your home? The ones who throughout Scripture and throughout time, throughout history, the ones who have been most homesick for heaven are the ones who have suffered the most in this life. It's, it's why to people like the Apostle Paul, heaven seemed more real to him than the earth does. The people like Stephen, when he was being stoned as the first martyr, when the rocks were being thrown at him, he lifted his eyes up and it says his face shined like an angel. And heaven opened up and Jesus stood to welcome him. The Bible always says that Jesus is seated at the right hand. But it says when Stephen was being martyred, he said, I see Jesus standing. Because heaven was that real to him. Jesus stood to welcome. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And the people like Stephen, the people like Paul, the people like Peter, people like Jesus, those who suffer the most in this life, heaven becomes as real to us as earth does. And we long for that place to call home. Do you long? When's the last time you longed for heaven? 
Because here's, here's, our, here's our hard reality. The more we're at home in this life, God wants to dislodge from us a desire to remain here. And sometimes, sometimes if we become so fastened to life on earth, then suffering comes into our world to dislodge us from that longing to remain here in this world. You have to ask yourselves, if life becomes home, and I think about, oh oh my goodness, the things that the Bible is talking about, because I've strayed, my life has strayed so far from it, it's old-fashioned, it's outdated, and so we ignore the Word of God and we begin living the way that we want to live. The question that Dr. Phil often asks is, how's that working out for your life? Think about this on on a more macro level then. How's that working out for our nation, guys? How's that working out for America? We decided we're going to go against the Word of God. The Word of God is outdated. we got to get with the times. How's that working out for our nation? How's that working out for our world? We think, yeah, we're just trying to be a little bit more relevant. No, we're not. We do so to our own demise. See, what if, what if all of the threat of North Korea, Russia, all the nations of the world, ISIS, terrorists, what if all those things are God's way of trying to loosen our vice-like grip of our hearts on this world so that we long more for heaven the way that the Bible says we ought to long for heaven? Could it be that that's what God might be doing? Because he'll do it the easy way if possible, but he'll do it the difficult way if need be. Because what is it that caused the watching world to see there's something different about these people of God because they saw us suffering in the face of difficulty, but they saw us suffering with joy. They said there's something different about these people called Christians. See, our lives, the greatest end of our lives is not for our comfort and our convenience. That's not God's greatest desire for us. God's greatest desire there will be people of character and Christ-likeness. And he's using these things in order to mold us into that place. I think the people who are closest to suffering understand what it is to yearn for heaven the most. A few weeks back, I had the, the opportunity to preside over the burial service. Jason on one of our, uh, his, his, his children grew up in our, in our church and have all lived, are all living up north now. And the day before, uh, day before he passed, our senior pastor uh, Inky Kim was talking with him, and he just asked him how he felt. And he just reaffirmed his faith in Christ. He said, I have no regrets in this life. I gave everything I had since I came to know Jesus. I gave everything to him. No regrets. I'm so thankful that I got to serve my God and serve my church in this way. He told uh, Ms. Janet Lee, one of our sisters, best friend of his widow, he said, if there's anything that I wish, I wish that, you know, I don't have any money to leave to my kids, to leave to my family. But the one thing I want to leave to them is I wish that they would inherit the faith in Jesus Christ that I have. I'm ready to go and I'm ready to see my God. I'm ready for heaven. Nothing that I regret. It's those people who are closest to suffering for whom heaven becomes the most real to us. Oftentimes, that's the way it is. It doesn't have to be, but sometimes it's just the way it works out. Remember people who died well. Don't you want to die well? I want to die well, man. I don't want to die in fear and, oh, my goodness, I wish I had done all these things. I want to die well. The way you die well is because by living well. Remember people like Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, uh, AD 106, lived almost 90 years of his life. He was arrested during a massive persecution going across the Roman Empire. 
Polycarp was captured, and, and like many other believers, he was to be burned at the stake. Because he's almost 90 years old, they gave him many opportunities. Renounce your faith, renounce your faith, renounce your faith. And he said, and famously he said, for 86 years, my God has never failed me. He has never been ashamed of me. He has never rejected me. Why on earth would I now, at the end of my life, reject him, my God and my Savior and my King? They said they tried to, this is like eyewitness accounts say this. See, when he was being burned at the stake, they said there was a supernatural protection where like an arc of fire over him, the fire didn't touch him. And with joy, he was sitting in the midst of those flames until finally he was speared. And the bystander said, there is something so different about the way Christians die than non-Christians. Why? Because heaven is real and death is a lie. They believe that in their heart of hearts. That death is simply a doorway into life, into my entrance, into my eternal home. Do you have this clear and present vision of how real heaven is? The saints of old, they saw that so clearly. Whatever my lot, if I die, that's awesome. If I live, you have taught me to say it is well with my soul. It's the second thing we see. By faith, heaven becomes as real as earth. Last thing, genuine faith. Genuine faith moves forward and doesn't look back. Moves forward, doesn't look back. Verse 14, people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. They'd been thinking of the country they had left. They would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. When uh, our, Manny, our daughter, oldest, was two and a half, and the first time she was given the opportunity to be a flower girl. Like two and a half. Uh, we weren't sure if she would be able to make it down the aisle while throwing flowers and not running back to her mom. And so the only, the only way that we could ensure that this could, well, possibly ensure that this could happen, thankfully I was officiating the wedding. I was standing in the front. Manny was in the back. Olivia was in the back telling her when to go. Uh, and Olivia said, Daddy's got a lollipop for you. So if you can make it all the way up, Dad will give you a lollipop. So three things. All she needed to know, two and a half years old, all she needed to know, Mommy says go, walk to Daddy, he'll give you a lollipop. That's the first thing. Second thing, you take the flowers out of the basket and you drop them as you walk. Third thing, don't look back at Mommy. <laughs> don't look back at Mommy. Because in Manny's life, the greatest thing in her world was her mom. Dad with a lollipop could be a close second, but mom is the greatest thing. And if she started walking and she looked back, we knew there was no chance she was going to make it to the place that she needed to come. And so she started walking. She started dropping the flowers, started dropping them. Come on, man, you can do it. In between dropping the flowers and then realizing the mess that she was making, picking them back up and putting them back in the basket, she made it. And she made it to the front. And, uh, <clears throat> My failure, I had forgot to put the lollipop in my jacket, and so she came up to the front. She's like, Daddy, where's my lollipop? And I was like, oh, stink, and this could be disastrous. But I uh, lied to her and said, Mommy's got the lollipop. She went to sit with Mommy, and everything was fine. But we realized, man, if she had looked back, she had looked back, she would have never made it to her destination. He's saying here, the men and women of faith, Abraham, Abraham, 
When he left Ur of the Chaldees, remember, if for those who aren't here, massive city, great riches, massive possessions, home, all that stuff. He could have gone back. And if he'd looked back, he would have gone back. There are times where famine hits the place he's going, and he, and he goes to Egypt, and he hangs out with Pharaoh. Hangs out with Pharaoh. He sees the, the pyramids. He sees the riches, and he thinks to himself, I'm a nomad. I'm a wanderer. I'm a stranger in this place. But that could have been me. That was me. He had every opportunity to go back to his old life. But he didn't because to him heaven was as real as earth. And he was looking ahead to a better country. Noah, when he's building the ark, could have looked back and said, you know what, forget this ark, forget this. I'm going to go back to where I came from. But he didn't. Why? Let me ask you a question. How do you know? How do you know the difference between someone who has genuine faith? And that's a, that's a key in that point, in that thought. Genuine faith always moves forward and doesn't look back. Here's how you know a person who has genuine faith versus someone who just comes to church, someone who just goes through the motions, someone who just calls himself a Christian or someone who just get baptized, but they don't have genuine faith. Here's how you know. The people of genuine faith move forward but they don't go back. Now, here's what it does. It doesn't mean that we don't fall. doesn't mean we don't stumble. doesn't mean we don't get tempted. But it's the interesting thing. Now, he says the reason why we can't turn back, the reason why we don't turn back, for Abraham to walk on out of Ur of the Chaldees, he, wasn't, he didn't go because of all of these great things that were promised, that you'll have this and you'll have that. He left because the voice of God spoke clearly to him, and he heard it in his ears, and he left to follow God. That's what it was all about. It was about faith in God. Not because he was looking ahead to all of these great things that he would have. Because of God, it was for him that he left. And so for Abraham to go back, it wouldn't just be a change in the route that he was taking. It would be a severing of the relationship. Do you understand? When you look back and you go back to your old life, it's not just, oh, you know what? I thought this life of faith was going to be something, but it's not. It's not just changing your religion. It's breaking a relationship and forfeiting intimacy with a God who called you originally out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what we do when we go back. And if that burdens your heart, then it's a pretty good sign that you've got faith in Christ. You understand, it's not about religion, it's not about rules, it's not about a way of life, it's not about obeying all of these commands, it's about a relationship with a God who loves you and gave everything in order that you might be his eternal treasure. That's what it means to live by faith. That's why we can't go back to the old life. It's not about, oh my goodness, this life is so hard, and yeah, there are times where it's hard, and can I tell you, I'll be honest, there are a lot of times when it's hard for me. There are a lot of times when I'm tempted to go back, but my confession is the same confession as the confession of the disciples. Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life. Where are we going to go? John chapter 6. All these people start deserting Jesus because they said, you know what, it's too hard. And Jesus says to the disciples, are you going to leave also? This is a hard teaching, they say, but Lord, where else are we going to go? Whom else are we going to go to? You alone have the words of life. In other words, yeah, living for Christ is hard. The only thing harder is not living for Christ. Living with God is hard. Life with God is hard. The only thing harder is life apart from God. Think about the, the troubles that you live in, the, the sickness that afflicts you, the fact that you didn't get into the dream school or the dream job or the prestige that you long for. That's not necessarily going to change because you stop following Jesus. 
Right? This world is broken, it's faulty, they'll be suffering all around. The only thing harder than living in this broken world with Christ is living in this broken world apart from Christ. That many times, many times throughout my life when I said, God, is it worth it? Do I want to throw in the towel? When I've been tempted to do that, this is what I think. Okay, this is what I think. I think, you are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Here it is. Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. Why? Because you are my all in all. That's why I don't give up. That's why we don't give up. Not because of something or some place. It's because of someone. It's Jesus. And I think to myself, Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. Because you are my all in all. When I was lost, when I was dirty, when I was buried under my sin and buried under my shame and buried under my past and buried under all of the things that I couldn't dare to lift myself up from, it was then that Jesus sought me as a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He dug me up and he picked me up even to the point of his own death. He sought me when I was a stranger. And he gave me access into the family of God, a place where I could finally call home. And this is what grace is. And it's because of grace that fastens itself upon our hearts that we can't and don't want to go back to our old life. We follow Jesus and we don't look back. Because of grace, because of Christ, because of love, because of mercy. You've probably heard this, but I think it is a great reminder to all of us. Turn of the century, 1904. A young man named William, his family was rich. Very, very rich, in fact. When he graduated high school in Chicago, he was already a millionaire back in 1904. His family owned the Borden Dairy Estate. It's the one, the laughing cow. You see it at the stores. His family owned that, and he was the heir of that, to the point where, yeah, not a bad graduation gift. Here's a million dollars. Parents said, when you graduate high school, we'll let you travel around the world. And so he traveled to Europe, to Asia, to the Middle East. And in seeing the world, the one thing he felt, the sense of brokenness, burdened for all the people who didn't know Jesus around the world. He said, bye, the grace of God, I'm going to come back to these lands. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And so right before he matriculated into Yale University, he wrote in the, in the front of his Bible, he wrote two words. He wrote, no reserve. In 1904, he enters into Yale. And same, same burden. So many people here don't know Jesus. And so he asked a friend, hey, will you pray with me in the morning? Before class starts, morning prayer. You weren't even Korean. Morning prayer, let's do this. Just pray for our campus. Started praying for revival at Yale. And by the end of that year, out of 1,300 students at Yale University, same Yale that some of us long to go to, or some of your parents long for you to go to, out of 1,300 students, 1,000 of them were meeting in prayer meetings all across the campus. Graduated from Yale, was offered all of these jobs, high-paying, 
jobs, not just, hey, we want you, but offers, in hand offers to work at these baller jobs. And he turned all of them down because he said, my call has been placed on my heart by my God. And I'm going to go to China and minister to the Muslims. We have a friend out there, right, doing that, ministering amongst the Muslims in China. And when he made that decision, he wrote underneath no reserve, he wrote uh, no retreat. No retreat. I've decided to follow Jesus, laser focused on that mission. And so he got on the boat that was going to China, but knowing that he was going to minister to Muslims in China, he stopped off in Egypt in order that he might study Arabic so that he could minister to the Muslims in China. And after a month, he caught meningitis. And with a month, at the age of 25, John Borden died, never having set foot in China, the land that he longed to go and depopulate of heathen so that heaven might be filled with more believers. And so you can be sure there are people who are calling his life a waste, a mistake. What a shame that he did those things. When they found his Bible, they found right before he set sail for the seas, underneath, no reserve, no retreat, he wrote these words, no regret. That whatever happens, whatever happens, no regret. Given everything for Jesus, not ashamed. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be the God of John Borden. Man, that that would be our desire. That would be our confession. I've decided to follow him unashamed, follow the call of God. No reserve, no retreat, no regret, because I promise you when you get home, when you get home, if you've given everything for Jesus, there will be absolutely 100% no regret that you've given it all to him. Let's pray. Have you become too comfortable in this life? Do you see life as a playground instead of a battleground? And what are the values that you're teaching to the coming generations about what's important in life? We walk by faith, not by sight. Let's pray. Let's respond. Just as Borden brought revival to Yale. Just as many others willingly gave of themselves in order that Christ might be made known. Let's realign our lives with Scripture by grace because of the cross, because of His love. Let's renew our commitment. Let's repent for ways in which man, I've become so comfortable. And if my comfort is impinged to the slightest degree, I get so angry. It's a reminder that we're not home yet. Have we been living life to pile, stack up comfort upon comfort? Or are we realizing if only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ 
will last. Let's spend a few moments right now praying to the Lord God. I know I need to repent of my own failures and sins in this regard. I've been living not by faith. I've been living for my own desires. I need to repent and I need to ask the Lord to change my heart. Perhaps you do as well. Let's pray. Can we do that? God's not ashamed of us. When we fail, he's not ashamed. He loves us to save. But man, I want to make the most of my life for Christ. Man, I want to bring delight and a smile to the face of my Father. Let's make that our prayer for just a few moments right now. Can we do that? Just a minute or two. Just praying, responding. Lord, I don't want to go back to the old life. I want to follow Jesus. Let's pray together for a few moments. Gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Let's lift our eyes to the heavens. Let's respond for a few moments in prayer. faith in Christ, if you don't know that you've got a home in heaven, if this time is a great time, as good a time as any, for you to open your heart and say, Jesus, I need you. I've sinned. I've messed up. I need someone to rescue me so that not only will I be in heaven at the end of my life, but you will bring heaven into my life beginning now hope and peace and joy, even in the face of challenging circumstances. Lord, I need you. You pray that prayer. In half a minute, I'm going to ask if there's anyone like that, and and we'll pray a prayer together, just all of us in here, if there's anyone like that. We'll just continue to respond. Lord, I need you. I need your help in this. Let's pray for a couple more moments. there's anyone in, in here as you know, we continue to pray with our eyes closed between you and the Lord God right now if you don't know that you've got a home in heaven regardless of how long you've been coming to church or how many times you've heard a sermon or heard an invitation if in your heart of hearts you're saying you know what I don't have the hope of heaven in my heart you want to put your trust in Jesus Christ now to be the forgiver of your sins and the master of your life. That's you. I just want to invite you, again, just between you and the Lord, just as a, a way of indicating your faith. If that's you, you can raise your hand where you are. I just want to see you and recognize you so that uh, I can help to follow up with you and just walk with you and encourage you throughout our time. Something like that, you just raise your hand from where you are.
Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you so much for those who are now exercising faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's for the hundredth or thousandth time. But the life of faith is a life of continual faith, repenting and believing that you are better and that you're better than sin and that you're worth following. So, Father, for those who make that choice to put their trust in you now, pray that you would awaken them through the power of your Holy Spirit. And for those of us who have walked with you but our eyes get distracted, instead of setting our eyes on heaven, our eyes are lowered to remain here on earth. For people like that, myself included, Lord, have mercy on us. We're sorry. for how we live and for the message that is communicated through our lives. We thank you that grace is so overwhelming, that your love never fails, and that you're the lifter of our souls. So, Father, we return to you now. Lord, may we live with a passion. May heaven be real. May faith arise, and may love for Christ anchor us to you so that we would not look back follow you. Thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. And even though we fail, you still love us. You never let go of us. Thank you for amazing love. We'll not let go. In Jesus' name we pray.